You're listening to a Sin podcast. You can listen to this show live by tuning your radio to 90.7 or online at sin.org.au. You're listening to a Sin podcast. You can listen to this show live by tuning your radio to 90.7 or online at sin.org.au. We at Represent would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners on the land on which Sin operates, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sin Media respectfully acknowledges their ancestors and elders, past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where our content reaches. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Kids should go to school. That's what we're committed to. Why do we want to play that? Yes, do we want it now? I haven't flip-flopped. I said no originally, then I said yes, then I have said no, and I've stuck to it. I didn't need to do this. I've already done a lot of war for the election. The English fought a civil war over this matter, over this matter. Don't deal with the nuance of the Canberra bubble. I don't know what to do with it. We have so much money. What we want is more learning in schools and less activism in schools. Issues that perhaps may be controversial today, but 30 years from now, your children, your grandchildren are going to be thankful that you stood up for what it was right. Represent. 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 You're listening to Represent. You are back on Represent on Sin with Mimi and George. A big episode with the dynamic duo again. <laughs> George, she gives me a weird look when I say that because Bridie isn't here this week again. Um, she's recovering from the spicy cough, a.k.a. COVID-19. Um, but yeah, we've got a pretty big episode today. We've got an important interview with the Higgins candidate, uh, the Greens Higgins candidate, Sonia Simmons, and also Mimi's going to be discussing all the latest of the sagas with Scott Morrison and the recent revelations. Um, I'm going to hand right over to George because he has some pretty exciting stuff to talk about. Yeah, well, I wouldn't exactly call uh, climate change and all the consequences that comes with it exciting, but there was a new IPCC report, which is the sixth assessment report, Mimi. Um, Basically... Showed the consequences of what will happen if we don't act towards climate change um, anytime soon. Uh, basically, there was a lot of outing and criticisms of certain countries and bodies in the world by the United Nations, because IPCC is a body of the United Nations, especially when the United Nations Security Council General Antonio Guterres, said that some governments and businesses were lying if they said that they were claiming to be on track for 1.5 degrees maximum. Uh, Basically, and I quote, he said that some governments and businesses leaders are saying one thing, but doing another. Simply put, they are lying and the results will be catastrophic. Mimi, is that not threatening to you? I'm feeling pretty threatened on this side of the table, yes. Yeah, I, I think it's a bit of a, a west of the table kind of concern that you're feeling over there. But you should be concerned because even Jim Ski, the professor at the Imperial College of London and also the co-founder of the IPCC report, he said that it's now or never if we want to limit the warming to 1.5 degrees. Without immediate and deep emissions or reductions across all sectors, it will be impossible 
So to go over a lot of this, I caught up with Greens candidate for Higgins, uh, Sonia Simmons, and we discussed all things regarding the IPCC and climate change in the future and what's got to happen in the next Australian election cycle. Listen in now. Today, I have a very important interview with Greens candidate for Higgins, Sonia Simmons. Thank you for joining us today, Sonia. Hi, George. Thank you so much for having me and inviting me on the show. I'm pleased to be here. No, it's, it's really lovely to have you on. We love having third parties and giving a platform to a lot of people. That being said, Higgins is a very divisive electorate. The Greens often do very well um, in that area. So you're in for a big campaign, I imagine, coming up when the election comes up. So just to start us off to get um, our audience familiar with, with yourself and the Greens policies, just tell us a bit about your policies and a bit about yourself in general. I would love to. So I am, uh, I'm someone who's come out of the not-for-profit sector and I've worked for 20 years with NGOs and, you know, like international development agencies and ecological NGOs and things. And I have no, I didn't really sort of have much political experience. I came out of that space because I realised after about 20 years of doing this work um, that it takes good policy to take good care of people and that charities do an amazing job, but often we're sort of the mop-up crew. Uh, and I just found after working, I was working with an, an organisation called Melbourne City Mission to help them build a youth crisis accommodation centre down on King Street in Melbourne. It's called Front Yard. It's a fantastic place. But it just felt like these are the kids that are ending up there uh, facing situations and circumstances that maybe could have been prevented if we had better policies at the top of the pipeline. So I decided you know, after the uh, sort of awful 2020 bushfire that I was going to just try and get into politics to do something about some of the crises that we're facing. And obviously the most urgent of them all is the climate emergency. Um, so we've seen that looming before our eyes over the last few years just grow worse and worse, just like, you know, everyone had forecast that it would. Um, and I have two kids. I have a 10-year-old little girl called Anamika and a son called Spencer, who's 12. Um, and, you know, they're, they're sort of of an age where they're learning about the climate emergency at school. Um, and I remember in the bushfires, my daughter saying to me that she was worried about the smoke and what, you know, what were there going to be 50 degree days in the future? And I said to her, don't worry, the adults are onto it. And then I realised, well, I'm the adult in the room. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to go and do something about this. Um, so I decided to run for parliament, which I strongly recommend, like huge endorsement for all people, especially young people, to get involved in politics because it's your future that's at stake here. Um, so I'm running in a seat called Higgins, which is, it stretches sort of from the top of, uh, just, just next to Melbourne. So South Yarra, Paran, Windsor, all the way down through Turak and Armadale, down even towards sort of Murrumbina, Carnegie Way. Um, so it's this really long electorate and it's got some uh, areas in it that you might've called sort of maybe blue chip. Um, so traditionally a bit of a liberal seat, had home of two liberal prime ministers uh, and also a federal treasurer. Um, but over the years, uh, like many of these inner city seats, it has slowly sort of become more progressive and moved further and further toward the Greens. Uh, and you said at the beginning, yeah, well, Greens have run some really big campaigns in this seat, which is true. In fact, the last candidate, Jason Ball, came within a couple of thousand votes of taking the seat. And then this crazy thing happened last year, which happens every so often in politics where they do a redistribution of the boundaries. Uh, so they move bits and pieces of the electorate in and out. And they basically they brought all of the suburb of Windsor into the electorate, which gave us like seven and a half thousand new voters who are really young and progressive. Um, and so the seat has just gotten 
greener and greener. Uh, and we think we're at a tipping point this year. So I'm absolutely running a campaign to win. And to me, it's all on the table. It's, you know, this is the election. It's this one or nothing. It's a very diverse kind of area. Like Higgins is such a, it's not exactly, you know, one kind of side of Melbourne or the other. It's, it's really like, it's not a melting pot, I would say, but it's definitely like it incorporates a lot of different um, parts of society rather than mm. it just being, you know, the wealthier sides of Melbourne. Maybe it also comes into the more suburban sides and the more, um, yeah, more middle class areas as well, which is really interesting to see how um, there's a lot of a progressive stance there. It's almost yeah. one of like probably Green's biggest um, stakeholders within all of Victoria. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's really interesting to see that. But yeah, just digressing our, attention towards some of the issues that you mentioned before, especially climate change. Mm -hmm. And um, we know that the IPCC came out with the sixth assessment report the other day. Um, Basically, there's a lot of urgency going on. The report kind of, I wouldn't say it gave a lot of plans for the future, but it said more about the consequences of what could happen if we didn't act on the future. Um, So just going on that, we know that there's been just for example, Jim Ski, the one of the CEOs of the of the report, um, he basically mm-hmm. just said that it's a now or never effort. Um, yeah. If we want to reduce the warmings to within one point five degrees, um, it's yeah, it's all all sectors around the globalized world um, really have to take action to that. What do you have to say about that, Sonia? Yeah, look, it's 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 really grim stuff, basically. You know, the last few reports, uh, and in, in fact, COP26 last year, we're hearing the kind of la- language like, you know, humanity's last chance. And I think the I- last IPCC report said, you know, there would be an atlas of human suffering. And this one said we're on track for an unlivable world. So, so these are like, I feel like the scientific community has been polite for about 30 years and it's finally decided, no, we need to really start to tell it how it is. And they've given us basically, you know, three years ago we had 10 years. So now we've got sort of this five to six years and and in fact looking at Australian politics, potentially we've got one electoral cycle to actually make the decisions that we need to make. And the other thing that the IPCC report was really clear about, which is a challenging one for Australia, was that, in fact, it almost literally said, the number of people who will die from the climate emergency is directly correlative with how fast we get out of fossil fuels. And we sit at a point in Australian uh, politics and history where, uh, where one side of politics is pretending that fossil fuels still have a future and the other side is sort of going along with it. And it's only these, the third major party, the Greens and the Independents and other voices and, and all of the scientific community who are saying, we can't risk that. Um, the IPCC report has been clear. We have to urgently, and I mean immediately, get out of fossil fuels. So the good news on that is that we can, like the tech is here. You know, we have arrived at a point where the tech is solid enough that we can do that. We're the sunniest, one of the sunniest continents on earth. You know, we can, instead of selling $170 billion worth of fossil fuels to our neighbours, we can sell, we reckon, $333 billion worth of sunshine and wind to our neighbours. So the future has arrived. All we have to do is choose it. But the challenge for voters this election is that you have to vote to choose it. Because, of course, 
the Morrison government's targets on getting out of fossil fuel, are, you know, they'll take us to two or three degrees warming. The Labor government are trying not to rock the boat, so their targets still have us well up near two degrees warming. Uh, and so it's really only the Greens and the independents who are saying that is not good enough. In, in the race for humanity's survival, I don't know why we're heckling and squabbling over details and numbers. I feel like it should be pretty obvious. We do absolutely, you know, bloody everything we can to move our society from being economically dependent on fossil fuels to being, um, you know, this resilient, clean, green, prosperous economy that can take us into the future and that saves the future. To me, it's such a no-brainer. I can't believe this is even where the discourse is in Australia, but here we are, you know, here we are. So thank goodness for uh, the Greens who have, you know, 30 years of track record writing climate and environmental policies, you know, they're all, our policies are approved by the PBO, they're costed, um, they are ready to go. They are ready for us to put them as a bill on the floor of the lower house and pass them in, in coalition with a new Labor government. So uh, the very likely outcome of this election is that Labor um, takes a minority government and shares that power with the crossbench. That is my sincere hope because that is the safest parliament we can hope for on the other side of this election, is a parliament where we have Greens and independents holding the balance of power with Labor, so that we say to them, you have approved, I think they've approved 214 coal and gas mines, both parties, both Libs and Labor, and the crossbench can then say, that cannot happen. They cannot go ahead. We now start the plan to uh, immediately ban the construction of new coal, oil and gas, and stop the subsidies, for the flailing fossil fuel industry and um, phase out the mining and burning of fossil fuels and transition, just rapid transition to this incredible renewables uh, industry that's just waiting. You know, the sun is shining, the wind is blowing, we are ready to go on renewables. Um, and I actually think that if we have that parliament on the other side of the selection, we're gonna see a really exciting period in Australian history. You know, it's gonna be good times. Um, and for young people, there's a lot to be hopeful for. Uh, but there's also something you guys have to do, which is that you are, like, no pressure, a huge voting block, like massive. In my electorate, there are 16,000 people under about 35. Those people could, they, you could boot out the, the government. You know, you could swing the parliament. You can put whoever you want into power. And so I often say to groups of young people that you may feel like you've got the most at stake in the future, but you actually, incredibly, you're also the answer. You are also the power that we need to, to get the kind of policies that actually do make the future good for you guys. Um, and we don't have to stop at, um, you know, saving humanity from a climate apocalypse. We can also do some really practical stuff too. So the Greens have policies that, are, that I personally love and am absolutely here for. For instance, um, you, you've probably read about it. We want to abolish student debt and make TAFE and uni free. Uh, we want to put mental health and dental care into Medicare. Um, I'm a mum. That's the sort of thing that would make huge difference in my life, just in my, you know, we talk about cost of living. Well, we can have cost of living solutions that really make a difference. Uh, and then things like the youth allowance, you know, 223 bucks hardly pays for anything, certainly doesn't cover rent um, and food and everything else that you need. Um, so I, I just think the future, if we put the right parliament into place, and, I, you know, the community is ready for, for something different, that's for sure. The future could be really bright. Yeah, definitely. I, I think um, you, you made me almost want to get up and stand up because <laughs> it was very inspiring. Yeah, <laughs> get involved, man. Get in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, like you're completely right in the sense where the importance of this election cycle, it's, it really is a make or break. Um, 
obviously there is so much riding on this election and mm. I know Greens probably don't have the capacity to form an entire government right now, but coming not with yet. a co- <laughs> not yet, <laughs> coming with a coalition with Labour, um, it's a mm. bit more of a political question. Um, a lot of people on the left, especially, and maybe young people as well, have seen that maybe Anthony Albanese and the Labour Party have kind of been, as you said, not trying to um, rock the boat too much, mm. um, yeah. especially if they were to be elected and you formed a coalition with them. How mm. confident are you that these plans to incentivize action on climate change will be imposed and all these other progressive ideas that you've, that you've mentioned? Mm. So I, I remain really hopeful that we all want the same things. You know, uh, the Labor Party is filled with decent people and parents like me and people with, um, you know, a genuine vested interest in doing the right thing by communities and, uh, and, our, and the next generations of Australians. Uh, so I feel completely confident that we could come to a really strong agreements that are, are really positive and that come into immediate effect. Like someone said to me, if you could do one thing in the next electoral cycle, what would it be? And I mean, the obvious answer has to be shutting down new coal and gas. But second to that, you know, if we got a federal ICAC across the line, and that's, you know, an anti-corruption commission, if we in the next electoral cycle got an anti-corruption commission with, with, with proper powers, with teeth across the line, that would radically transform our democracy. It would make it a place where when you vote, you know that it's actually you that the parliament will be serving and at the moment we have um we have two political parties both labor and liberal who take an absolute fortune from corporates and fossil fuel particularly they take a million bucks from fossil fuel that we know about that's declared and there's another billion dollars in dark funding that we don't even know about who who that's coming from you know and that's not even getting me started on clive palmer <laughs> and his <laughs> you know absolute another bag of worms. <laughs> extremely visible yellow signs he yeah. has absolutely ruined the color yellow um <laughs> So, so I think, um, you know, everyone wants to see a parliament that serves the people and even, you know, members of the Labor Party, even knowing that that party is funded by gas. Um, I don't believe that's what it wants to be. I believe it wants, it wants a parliament and a, a government that, that serves the Australian community. So I, I feel like that is absolutely achievable, that we will work together. Um, I will work with anyone. Who wants yep. to build a better world? You know, I spent 20 years doing that in the not-for-profit sector, and I, I give you my word, I dedicate my life to doing that. A government that works for the people and less yellow posters of Clive Farmers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, that's right. Yeah. Legislation, let's ban yellow, <laughs> yellow posters. Yeah. Well, maybe Very... just the maybe just the the spend. Maybe we yeah. just have capped spending on, on election okay. campaigns so that yeah. so that someone like Clive, who happens to have an absolute ton of money and half a Titanic, can't mm. come and buy the parliament. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um just switching bases a little bit off that. Um going towards a big, I guess, a big economic problem amongst young people, especially through our audience generally, is is the expenditures that they've got to pay for, especially tertiary education, and also for young people um, from a parent's perspective, um, younger primary school and high school, yeah. the fees that are mounting and privatization of of all yeah. these pieces of education. Um, the Greens have kind of hoped to implement policies where it would make education free and a less privatized outlook on um, yeah. education in general. Um, tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so I think this stuff is really exciting. And, and I think it's also um, super important to, 
to give some context to this, which is that there was a time when university was free and when education like primary school um, and high school government education was truly free, you know, no hidden costs. Uh, and and I, I, I say that can be the case again. You know, many of the politicians that are in parliament today went to uni for free, for instance, there's a long line of them. Um, and, and so why shouldn't we make the most important resource in Australia, which is, you know, our, our children and their educational process, why shouldn't we make that available to absolutely everyone so everyone can achieve their best? It takes the pressure off the family, it takes the pressure off young people when they're going through the process of uni and TAFE, um, and it doesn't saddle them with a heap of debt. I think the most important thing that we can do for the next generation, knowing that we're already going to lump them with some measure of a climate debt, you know, there are going to be some costs. We are already up near 1.5 degrees warming, and we know that there will be consequences there that will have an economic impact on young people. N needless to say, you know, in the middle also of a housing crisis where, you know, housing affordability gets, gets smaller and smaller. So the very least we can do is make sure that there's no additional burden of debt for young people and that they are as skilled and equipped as we can possibly make them to, you know, face the future and, and, and achieve as much as they can. Um, and so the, the Greens policies are just really practical. You know, uh, I know that um, the Labor Party will talk about making some TAFE courses free. Make it all free. You know, why not make it all free? It used to be, it can be, we can certainly afford it. We saw in the pandemic that when we want to do something, when we want to fix something, the money is there. You know, the billions that we spent $11 billion every year on fossil fuel subsidies, you could easily make something like TAFE and uni free, abolish student debt, make childcare free so that mums can get back into the workforce, you know, make sure all government fund, all government schooling and education is completely free for people. And the way our, so our policies, as I said earlier, are all costed uh, and approved by the P, uh, PBO. And, and the funds come from when we start to actually um, make polluters pay. So when you actually start to put uh, carbon tariffs and, and um, that sort of thing on to polluters, then all of a sudden you have the money coming into the economy and you stop the subsidies. You have money coming into the economy so that you can pay for the things that we need as a community to make life better for everybody. Um, so yeah, the suite of policies from the Greens this, this election to me, uh, it's among the most... The other thing that it's, uh, I would love um, to pause and reflect on is that in, in 2010, the Greens held balance of power. Uh, and this was uh, one of the most um, effective parliaments that Australia has seen. So this was during the Gillard years and she passed along with the Greens in Balance of Power a heap of legislation. Uh, for instance, it's when we had the first effective emissions trading scheme up and running, which actually only and ever brought pollution down in our country. And also we got dental into Medicare for kids, um, which made dental free for children. And that took the pressure off for hundreds of families. So not only are these things great ideas, but they're actionable ideas. And they can happen in one electoral cycle. Like your, your uni debt could be wiped in one electoral cycle. Now I know for some people that's like 20 or $30,000 potentially. Um, so these are the things that I think we just need to say matter to us. It matters to us that we have um, young people set up for a great life and that matters and that's what we prioritise. I'm not sure whether that's where I was heading when I got cut off, but, but that's where I'm finishing. <laughs> well, I think we got it. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for your time, Sonia, today. We've really appreciated having your opinion put on and um, I hope I wish you all the best for your candidacy. Thank you so much.
Yeah, well, well, join me, get involved, find your local candidate, any candidate that you think represents you and get involved. It's your future. You can take it back. Very well spoken. Thanks, Sonia. Thanks, George. All right. Should I just dive straight into my uh, segment today, George? That'd be a bit a bit powerful. I know, it would be, but we've got a lot to get through, okay? Yeah. And bear with me because this took a long time <laughs> for me to wrap my head around. Yeah. And I, I think it will take a long time for some other people too, you know, if they're not avid politics oh, okay. followers. Yeah, so like I yourself. tried to break it down for, you know, for, for, for all listeners, for no all matter... Listeners. No matter how much they know, you know. So you might have noticed in the news this week that there's just been like a lot of headlines being like um, people in the Liberal Party are like criticising Scott Morrison, like coming out, slandering Scott Morrison, blah, blah, blah. But why? Why, guys? Why, Minnie? Is he just being his usual self or is there a reason? And there is a reason. But to get to that reason, we have to go all the way back and we have to understand some, you know, some political, like, the way politics works. We have to kind of educate ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> I recently just found out that political parties have to decide who will stand in political seats. So, there's factions, kind of like in schools, right? Like, schools have little cliques, you know, you might have the popular people and then the jocks or whatever. And the and- Georges. And the, and what, the what? Who were you in school? Oh, what clique were you in? Just a separate level, aren't we? What just do you like mean? A superior level. You were a superior yeah, level, yeah, yeah. so you're the popular. Everything level. went through me. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I was the nerd then. Oh, okay. Um, and you know, people in these cliques fight. There's fights, you know, and you know, they don't always get along. Someone always wants the monkey bars, but they can't have them all the time. You know, you got to share. So. This is the same in the New South Wales Liberal Party, especially, yeah, in New South Wales. Um, The same has gone down. So Mr Morrison, Mr Perrottet and Miss McDiven have come over the top of all this factional fighting to pick their own candidates. So they've basically gone, we can't wait for you to decide and, you know, fight it out. We're just going to pick. So members haven't been able to vote for who will represent their seat, so essentially denying local branch members their vote. So usually you vote for this, but uh, Mr Morrison, et cetera, has come over and gone, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to pick them. Obviously, this doesn't just happen within the Liberal Party, you know, and this wouldn't usually make headlines either. But as I have stated, um, a lot of people within Morrison's party have come out and criticised him. So this has all started with Senator Faravanti Wells, who absolutely ripped in to Scott Morrison's character um, this time last week. Like, yeah, exactly this time last week, actually. Stating, among a lot of other things, but most specifically and most importantly, that he is not fit to be Prime Minister. Um, I think it's a very big claim. I think it is as well. I think especially when you're on the same side like that, like what character does that kind of show of Scott Morrison if your own party is, you know, going against you at that that rate? Exactly. 
However, though, this does come after she was, and I quote from the ABC, placed in an unwinnable position on the party's Senate ticket. So obviously she's a bit upset. Maybe the truths just come out when you're at your lowest point in politics, I guess. It's an opportunity to release all the vented frustration or maybe it's just, you know, one last swing before you before you go, I guess. Take it out while, while you can. Definitely. So someone else who's also come out is one of her former staffers, Michael Talk, um, has also come to say that Scott Morrison is not very credible. That's a quote. Um, in 2000, a little, a little backstory because the same thing that's happened right now over the last few months actually happened to Mr. Talk too. So it's kind of like a full circle kind of moment. So in 2007, Mr. Talk beat Morrison in a pre-selection vote for a South Sydney seat. But this was ultimately overturned and Mr. Morrison, Scott Morrison, as we, you know, scammer, became the <laughs> candidate for this seat. So it's like the same factional fighting happened and it's like the same thing. Like someone came over the top and and was like, no, um, we're going to give Morrison this seat. Um, so... Mr. Talk has previously accused Mr. Morrison of urging pre-selectors not to vote for him because of his Lebanese heritage and thus wouldn't be able to hold the seat because of the Cronulla riots, which had occurred two years prior. So that's all the background behind all that that you might have seen on, like, Batuta Advocate and stuff with Scott Morrison and some sick fades um, in his hair. Have you seen that, George? <laughs> I have not seen that. Okay, so that's the background behind all those jokes. Okay. But um, Scott Morrison has denied these allegations, so... Just it's denied the skin fade or the... <laughs> hasn't denied the skin fade, just the, just the allegations. Oh, okay. Um, another person is state liberal Catherine Cusack, who's called Morrison a bully and states that she won't be voting for him after his lack of support with the recent South East Queensland and Northern New South Wales flood crises. Um, so with all these people like coming out and saying all these things, of course Scott Morrison feels the need to defend himself and his decision to intervene in the Liberal New South Wales pre-selection. Um, his defence is... <clears throat> uh, it's very iffy. I don't believe it, but anyway, it's not my, my decision to say what's what. But he states that he did so to protect great women and that he believed some great women in the New South Wales Liberal pre-selections were under threat from factions and factional fighting. And he says, and I quote, I'm asked all the time, why wouldn't the Prime Minister do more about getting good women in Parliament and stand up for women in Parliament? And so apparently this is what he's done, and this is how he, he's done it. Um... Both Senator Ferravanti Wells, who we've mentioned just before, and Liberal MP Julia Banks have both dispu- disputed the Prime Minister's claim that he wanted to support great women. So, there's a lot of things obviously going on here. We've got like inner party criticism, we've got this whole great woman thing, we've got the, the, the pre selections in New South Wales that started it all. There's a lot to go through and like wrap your head around. This literally took me hours. Um, <laughs> so, you're welcome, guys. You're welcome. <laughs> to make it a cohesive story like I just did took a, took a lot of work. Yeah. Um, so, George, just, you know, I've got a few more specific questions, but just off the bat, you know, what do you make of all of this? Um, I think the crux of it through, like, the political infighting, as much as, 
yes, like it's happening now and everything. It's not really unique to Australian politics, I think. Um, you know, Scott Morrison was elected on the basis of political infighting. The Labour Party has gone through lots of political infighting. Um, Senator Penny Wong, um, you know, was called out recently um, for bullying allegations. It's not exactly as groundbreaking as I think some people might be making it out to be. Um, not to not to defend anyone or try and take a side on this. I just think that in the grand scheme of things, this isn't something that's extremely peculiar. Um, that being said, his defense is a bit questionable to this. I definitely haven't... I didn't hear Penny Wong say there were a lot of great women when she was under the attack. And I don't think Kevin Rudd was pointing out all the great women when he lost his um, prime ministerial privileges. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot to take on a board, isn't it? Yeah, I definitely think it's important to point out that this sort of stuff happens all the time. Yep. And I think it, it, it's weird that it has made so many headlines. Like, I swear, yesterday, all I could see was stuff about this. Well, this takes me off topic a little bit, but maybe this like just is a symptom of the two-party political system that we have in Australia um, in the sense where if there are more parties, you can go to beliefs that are stronger to yours rather than just, you know, grouping all the right-wingers to the Liberal Party and all the left-wingers to the, to the Labour Party. Um, if there were more specific parties and more tailored to people's, you know, political beliefs, maybe you wouldn't have all this infighting regardless of the issue. Maybe people would get along more harmoniously. Aww. That's so sweet. I mean, it's just... It's true! <laughs> it's politics. It's not sweet. It's not supposed <laughs> to be sweet. But I'm just saying it's like, you know, all, all this political inviting comes from people with vested interests and not saying in this situation it was vested interests, but it's from, you know, personal beliefs and whatnot. Maybe it could be avoided. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what do you think of Senator Ferravanti Wells' character assassination of Scott Morrison? This close to the election. In this climate, in this election? I don't know. I think... Um, it's it's interesting that it's almost political suicide for her to do this at such a stage. But I mean, stage. she's already out, so who cares? She is, but like, you know, her career in the Liberal Party probably, you know, is probably as good as, I don't know, Anthony Albanese's is in the, the Pope Liberal Catholic. Party. Yeah. <laughs> is the Pope Catholic, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, I think she's, as I mentioned before, I think she's just gone out on a swing. You know, Scott Morrison has had his character um, questioned before. Gladys Berejiklian, there's been leaked text messages from her saying that he was, I believe, this might be wrong, but I think she said he was a bully. Um, there's been a lot of different sources, a lot of different, you know, people with their interests have come out against Scott Morrison. So it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't doubt it, but at the same time, that is... A, that takes balls to, you know, call out Scott Morrison just as soon as the election is coming up. Do you think it's fair? I, look, I am not in a position to question what's fair and what's not. I think you can definitely question someone's character, um, but I think the question more comes from the validity of it, um, of the questioning of his character. And, you know, I'm not in a position of power to kind of or in the know, if you know what I mean. I kind of want your opinion. Like, I know, I think it's very clear from listening to our show, like, what side we stand on when it comes to Scott Morrison. We're not his biggest fans. But do you think, like, 
just took it too far? Be... Do you think like it's not fair? Like I think if she believes that that's just strongly, your opinion. I think if she has gone to these lengths and believes in it this strongly and, you know, politically suicided like this, then it's hard to doubt it. Okay. Okay. Um, do you think Scott Morrison really is trying to help the great women? The great women. Um, look, not everything is as black and white as they may seem. I think, I don't know why he said that, um, honestly, but like, you know, I think it's just a political strategy used um, off the basis, you know, of women attacking him, he's trying to deflect it in a sense or make it more about, you know, I'm on your side, I'm on women's side, but I don't think I don't think it's a very effective strategy. Definitely playing the gender card. Yeah, playing ident- oh, not identity politics, but trying to trying to win people over that. I don't think he will win everyone. <laughs> Have you seen the Tudor Advocates um memes of these, they're so funny. I've, I've been out of the loop of the two <sighs> recently, to be honest. They've done, like, ones where it's, like, this photo of, like, um, you know, like, in a club and girls, and it's, like, Scott Morrison dance between, dances between girl and creepy man mm. <laughs> to help oh his friend <laughs> to save great women. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I got you. And then you. it's, like, Scott Morrison stops meeting to comment on... Um, <laughs> great woman's like outfit today. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're really funny. Um, all right, guys. Um, that was yeah. That was us talking about whatever that was. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, let's talk about the anti-vaxxers who commented on our Twitter. Yeah, that was weird. Um, so for those who have been living under a shell recently and didn't hear our or Mimi's fantastic interview with Brendan Crabb, which was one of our show's most popular ever interviews. It was the most popular it, interview. Debated, but... <laughs> yeah, well, I had a pretty good interview last year as well. Don't worry about it. Anyway, anyway. Point is, we got a lot of retweets and we got a lot of likes, a lot of engagements, and most importantly, a lot of anti-vaxxers coming on. I think, <laughs> I think some of the things I can't even, I can't even read out some of these tweets. All right, okay, guys, thanks for tuning in to Represent here on Sin. We've been your hosts, George and Mimi. We won't be here next week. We're having a well-deserved break, but I'm pretty sure after that we will all be back, including Brady. And starting our election coverage is coming up. We're going to start getting even more interviews like today. You can keep up to date and let us know what you thought of the show on our socials. Find us at SimRepresent on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to hear this episode again or catch up on any of our old episodes, you can find our podcast on Omni at Represent and on Spotify. And remember, guys, to stay Stay political. political. See ya. Bye. You've been listening to a Sin Media Podcast, where young people run the show.